how do we use attention tracking to to monitor screen attention for for Dactronic scoreboards? And you know, if uh, one of your guys' scoreboards go in, especially with the really incredible new um, shapes and sizes and designs and the and the resolution that you guys are, are putting into these new venues, is that making a big a different a difference uh, on screen attention? And if so, that's that's massive. Hello, and welcome to the Dactronics Experience Podcast. I'm Justin Oxner here with Matt Anderson. Today, we're joined by Rachel Goodger, Chief Revenue Officer of FanCam and CrowdIQ. She shares how she got into the business, what FanCam does and what CrowdIQ does, the images and data they can pull for venues, and so much more. We're here today with Rachel. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing good. I have Matt Anderson sitting across from me here. Hello, Rachel. Um, Hi. And we're going to talk about... Uh, your job and crowd IQ and everything that that entails. But can we start with your origin so, origin story, so to speak, <laughs> of of how you got your start in the industry and how you got to where you're at today? For sure. Um, straight out of college, I jumped into the the sports entertainment industry. Um, I, I played hockey in college myself. Always knew I wanted to stay in sports um, and jumped in with a, a very small at the time mobile app company that was looking to do in-seat delivery for food and bev, kind of when that was was really kicking off about 10 years back, and ran into the the fan cam team at a conference. Can't remember which one exactly, but hadn't seen a fan cam myself. Um, met Tinas, our, our CEO and um, founder at the conference, and, and thought, wow, this is really cool. I wonder if we can integrate this into the platform that we are trying to build out and develop and had those conversations with him for a couple years or excuse me a couple months and then ended up actually uh jumping ship and joining the fan cam team um since we are actually based out of cape town south africa they at the time were looking to expand their presence here in the u.s so been with the fan cam group for about six years now um and it's been a, a wild ride so far to say the least that's awesome and so i mean you mentioned you played hockey in college too so you kind of want to stay in the sports side were you I mean, it's pretty technical stuff, too. Were you always kind of a tech person? Is that kind of your interest, too? You wanted to, I'd say merge the two, but that was what you were looking to do with your career? Actually, I was looking to get into broadcasting. Oh. Um, always thought that was the route that I would go to stay in sports, um, but did some internships in that space and realized I have a lot more fun actually attending the events for fun uh, versus sitting <laughs> in, a, in a truck or behind a camera and um, logging hours working. So... Uh, kind of switched side of things and, and found a way to still be able to uh, keep my day-to-day involved in sports um, while actually still liking watching sports and attending <laughs> the events. Yeah, that's awesome because I know some people um, that I know that work in, in sports entertainment mm-hmm. too, and when there's a big event that they're working at, I'm like, oh, it's so lucky you get to be at whatever game it is. And yep. they're like, what? No, I'm working there. Like, are you going to be on your couch? Like, having chips and drinking beer and i'm like oh yeah i guess that does sound a little better you know and he's like yeah 100 <laughs> percent. It's, it's a completely different thing i remember i was sitting there i think it was maybe a twins game with a couple folks and the game was tied and i was all excited and thought we were going to get extra innings it was going to be fun and everybody else around me is cheering for somebody to score didn't care if it was the the home team the away team they just wanted the game to end and i look at them and i was like don't you guys want the twins to win? I'm from Minnesota. And they said, you know, we've got 160 something of these. We just don't want to be here till 2 a.m. Oh, like, geez. Okay. Because that's the way you think about it, don't it? And it does make sense that if you're if you're doing something uh, day in and day out like that. Yeah. 
Right. And you're, you're still in the sports sphere, so to speak, um, and you're working at CrowdIQ and FanCamp. Can you share some background of CrowdIQ and what exactly that is and what it does? Yeah, CrowdIQ stems from FanCam. So most people would probably be more familiar with FanCam, a global leader in in 360-degree gigapixel photography. We've been capturing these high-res 360-degree images since 2010. In the last year alone, um, we did the World Series, the NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals, uh, Justin Bieber's World Tour, the Daytona 500. So a lot of big sporting events and then even entertainment events that you can go to. And then the next day you see this big photo kind of looks like a pano, but you can zoom in and find yourself in the crowd. And that's um, kind of our bread and butter since 2010. Still do a lot of fan cams. It's a great sponsorship and digital asset. But it was back in, I think, 2016, we had a partner ask, could you capture, I think it was eight playoff games for an NBA team and an NHL team in the same venue. So we said, okay, well, what if we install cameras in the scoreboard instead of sending a photographer out, you know, 15 or 16 times? (laughs) And once we got those cameras installed, we realized, well, now we don't have to capture just the tentpole events and the one-off events. We can capture every game. We can do it multiple times a game. And we've got these incredible high-resolution images. Why don't we do something with that? And that's kind of where we set out to analyze the bowls of stadiums and venues. And CrowdIQ was was born out of that idea. And you mentioned the Justin Bieber World Tour or, or, you know, (laughs) concerts and things like that. So it does go beyond sports. Did it kind of start more on the sports side and then just evolve? Or, Or how did that happen? It's crazy that actually the very first thing we did was back in 2010, 2011, and it was a U2 World Tour um, was the very first thing. And so we went more from actually concerts and entertainment into the the sports space um, for the one-offs, you know, the home openers, the the playoff games, and um, the big kind of tentpole matchups where we would send a photographer and they'd run out on the court or the field and and capture the image and, and head out. Um, and that's really what we did for for six years up until 2016. Awesome. And then you're you're talking about you know I know you had mentioned you you ran into the people from FanCam at that uh, that conference and things. So maybe before we get a little bit too far ahead, uh, so what is your current role? And then kind of what are your areas and responsibilities that you have? Yeah, sorry, jumping back. Um, <laughs> Tarantinoing as, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, currently sitting as as chief revenue officer at um, at FanCam and CrowdIQ. We're still a very small group, uh, a group of 10, but but growing quickly and looking forward to um, actually hiring a team on on my side. Uh, but this current moment really oversee all of our, our marketing, our sales, our business development, um, PR, and, and the likes of that. And then just kind of a lot of the day-to-day conversations with current clients and partners. Um, and as we grow, looking to bring on a sales team, bring on a, a whole data um, an analytics team that kind of oversees these things, and then eventually we'll we'll oversee those groups as we as we continue to expand here in the United States. Okay, and and then you were saying that you'd you'd send those photographers onto the field, or you're trying to set it up with the scoreboards and and mm-hmm. jumping more into how this really works. Um, yeah. What was the original data you were trying to to get with that, or or what were you trying to think about how the fans were acting? Is is that kind of where it was where it was coming from with the pictures they were taking? Yeah, I think the big thing was. Um, how it works with fan cam and the same cameras that we utilize to, to publish fan cams can be used for crowd IQ data. Um, but really we were just capturing hundreds of photos 
and then we stitch them together kind of like a puzzle to create the big 360 degree images that fans see and engage with mm -hmm. and as we installed in more and more venues across the country and in different um different leagues we kind of noticed every fan base in every city every venue it's different and we were picking this up just as we looked at you know fan cams um seeing that nfl teams look different you know nfl games look different than an mlb game and um you know bigger cities look different than than smaller markets and how fans travel and opposing team fans show up in these photos is different depending on the market mm -hmm. and so we thought well we can detect all of this with our eyes can we train a computer to do it the same thing mm -hmm. and that's essentially what crowd iq does anything you and i can deduce from an image a computer can be trained to detect so we look at these high-res images and if you and I can look at the photo and go male, female, male, female, approximate age, or they're wearing, you know, a home team jersey versus an away team apparel, all of that that you and I can detect, um, we started training computers to do it for us. Awesome. And even thinking about, you know, how before it kind of grew into the analytics side, maybe a little more, was the original idea, you know, whether it was starting with the concerts or going into sporting events, you'd, you'd get this huge gigapixel you said gigapixel picture yep. and then was it for like a cool thing for the venue or team to have or it was the whole they use that to promote people that were in attendance of like a you know find yourself in here tag yourself or kind of what was like the use of that photo once you took it it was really a sponsorship asset okay. um back in the day historically we really didn't even work with the teams it really was a sponsor somebody like a Coca-Cola or a Chase or a McDonald's or a Bud Light back in the day would reach out and say, hey, we want to do 20 NBA games or we want to do the, you know, the Super Bowl or the college football playoffs or whatever it might be. And we would work with the brand um, that was activating around the event to do this. And then our model definitely shifted when we started installing in the venues where we more so now work directly with the teams, and then we give them the opportunity to monetize FanCam as a sponsorship asset. So in our world now, we'll go to the team, we work with them, and they might go to a Bud Light or a McDonald's or a Chase or a Coke mm -hmm. and provide it as a digital sponsorship asset to them. Okay, so there's a sponsorship side of it too, and, and you're taking the pictures and you, you, you say you can see how kind of fans are acting or what kind of jersey they're wearing or, or what uh, support they're giving there. Um, how often are those pictures being taken? Is it like this one time big picture and then you, you analyze that picture or that's being analyzed on its own or is it multiple pictures? It's multiple. And that's the really cool thing about the, the installs and having cameras actually permanently in these venues is now it's not just sending a photographer out of the field to capture one image. Mm -hmm. It's actually us capturing the entire venue every 10 to 15 minutes. And in some instances capturing every single second. So it's really cool that these, uh, cameras that we install in a venue can definitely have multiple purposes. We've got the fan cam. It is the, the fan-facing digital sponsorship asset. And then we have CrowdIQ, this awesome crowd analytics platform. And some of our partners utilize both. Some just have us publish fan cams. Some just have us capture CrowdIQ data. But it's kind of cool that the cameras can be utilized um, in, in dual form uh, simultaneously and, and give teams a little bit of flexibility, depending on what they're looking for. Right. And what they're looking for in my mind is just kind of racing with different ideas. Like, are they looking for, do, do they usually wear the, the home team jersey or the, the home 
attire instead of the away attire for that same team? Or are they looking, you say multiple times or every 15 minutes, are they saying, hey, during this inning of a baseball game, more likely fans are to get up and go get a hot dog and come back and have a hot dog? Or or is it, you could even tell what kind of concessions they, they get at what point in the game. There's there's so many different things you could capture, right? Yeah, and that's a that's a great point there on the on the capturing every you know ten to fifteen minutes because a, a big reason for that is something that we call crowd flow. So how often are fans in their seats? So as we capture from uh, the time the doors open until the end of the game, so that you can pick up those trends and pick up at you know a halftime or in between periods or in between innings um, how fans kind of move. And then if you start tying this data to things like concession sales and and the like, uh, you start to pick up a lot of really unique trends um, over the course of the game. And it was really interesting with these these data sets because when we started having conversations with teams now six, seven years ago, they had interns literally doing this. Um, they'd have an intern in the press box and they'd have maybe two or three of them and they were responsible for, somebody has to do the lower bowl, somebody has to do the upper bowl. Okay, how, approximately how many kids are at the game tonight? How many opposing team fans are we seeing in the crowd? And then people literally counting it um and so we were like well what if we just had a computer do the exact same thing your interns are doing and we could do it way faster and in real time and get even more data and teams were like wow yeah we we love that idea and i bet the interns really do it sounds like ushers at church when they're just trying to count attendance on how many people are in each pew and that sounds like a lot of work it does sound like an intern job though you you go ahead and count how many children there are and how many light bulbs there are and how many need to be replaced oh my gosh Right. So I'm picturing the uh, when you walk through the door and they, you know, click at like Costco and they you yeah. see there, please show us your card and they push the click. How many people are in here at any given moment of time? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> exactly it. so I'm curious, how detailed can this get? You're talking about just flow of crowds and the crowd mm-hmm. flow or whatever. Um, can you see like which direction they're even looking during during big moments in sporting events? Yeah. So that's another thing. Um, We've got cameras that capture the the entire venue every 10 to 15 minutes. And then we'll have another camera that will capture just a subsection of the venue, whatever, depending on the venue size, uh, we deem large enough to be a sample set, a representative sample set of the entire crowd. Mm -hmm. And that camera will capture instead of every 10 to 15 minutes, but every other second. And we are looking at where approximately is a fan looking. Are they looking at the scoreboard at the screen? Uh, Are they looking down at their phones? Are they looking at the game? Or are they looking elsewhere kind of on that per second basis? And then um, we overlay that with what's actually happening on a team's screen, or we can pull in the API from like the NFL and see what was happening on the field. So you can start to see what activations get the most attention or when this happens on the field, um, it's going to trigger this reaction from the crowd and start to kind of program your game better depending on what fans are reacting to. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was getting really interested too, Rich, you know, talking to you before um, the episode even here today was, okay, there's a lot of data points that you already pointed out that are really cool, but when you started to say that you can layer that, um, like you're talking about with moments in the game or certain content on the displays, that's when it was like on a whole nother level to me because the original amount of data was already impressive, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then now you can definitely tell, like you mentioned NFL and makes me think of, oh, yeah, when there's a, a replay going or a booth review, like everyone looks up uh, there a lot more often. And so you could kind of, I know you showed me a couple graphs and stuff to kind of show when those those spikes are. And then it starts to totally. make sense as to why that was that way. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think we see something very different with uh, with different teams, depending on if it's 
um, a fancy new high-tech scoreboard in a unique shape versus um, a center hung versus screens in, in two end zones or on two sides of the field. You know, attention definitely varies um, depending on the screen type. And then attention definitely varies depending on, on content type. Um, and that varies depending, too, on, on team and league. So it becomes really unique. But I think it's great for teams to be able to get a general idea of potentially just what assets are most valuable from a partnership perspective, mm-hmm. you know, what fans are gravitating towards and paying attention to. Um, and then sometimes even more valuable on the game presentation side, what things need to be refreshed or, or recycled or just, you know, removed <laughs> sure. and got rid of because they're doing it game over game for, for 10 years. And maybe the fan base is, is tired of it and it's time for something. They're numb else. to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking of examples here and one of them just shot in my head, like say there's a third down animation that, or a third down is happening and an animation comes up on a scoreboard and it says, make some noise. Mm-hmm. And would you be able to see kind of over that like layering and say this this time of the game it said make some noise and all of a sudden the entire crowd is standing up and cheering? Is that t- the type of cause and effect you can even tell? We could. I mean, we could look at the um, at the camera that's capturing every single second and see what the response is there. Uh, we're also looking at it's not something we're currently doing, but looking at tw- uh, tying sound into this as well. So oh, okay. um, if this goes on the screen and this many fans or this percentage of the crowd pays attention to it. Here is the, you know, the noise reaction from that perspective. Um, so a lot of really cool and fascinating things that you can do. Um, and like you guys just noted, you know, the overlaying of data, um, I mm-hmm. think is where the, where the real value is for, for teams. And sometimes looking at it in, in real time, we've got an NFL partner who, um, for example, takes the crowd flow data, uh, overlays it with their ticketing data. So they have, you know, when scans, uh, when fans have scanned in their tickets, you know, when fans have entered the venue. So from from their side, they can see 90 percent of fans from Section 105 have scanned in. And from our data, they can see, let's say, only 60 percent of fans are in their seats at the kickoff. Um, how do you get fans to their seats sooner? Should they be utilizing different gates? Are they already stopping for concessions? Um, are they coming in kind of through the wrong area and having a difficult time getting to that? Or are they just spending a lot of time in the venue because it's a new venue and they want to explore? Mm-hmm. Each team's goal, I think, is very different, too. And that's the important thing to note is that um, some teams maybe don't care if their fans are in their seats at kickoffs because maybe it means they are spending on concessions. That's yeah. crazy. All the, all the amount of data that you can bring in and what you can tell from it is just kind of blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really incredible what you can what you can tell from a photo. It's probably a great time to note, as I always like to, um, that everything's completely anonymous. We can't tell you who anybody in the photos are. It's the same thing if you and I looked at a picture of, you know, a section of fans at a sporting event, unless you and I personally know them, we don't know who anybody in that sure. in that image is. Mm-hmm. And it's the same it's the same way for this. And I think a lot of a lot of teams in the industry in general is really focused on this personal uh, personal identifiable information. And um, while yes, that that can be valuable, I think we've also realized that we don't really have a general understanding of what fan bases are in general. Um, mm-hmm. So why don't we just start there and start bettering the fan experience and the sponsor experience and what a game day feels like um, because you have a better idea of, of who's just in the, in the, in the venue in general. Yeah. And I like that. Cause it's, it's even like talking about what the interns had to do, but <laughs> it was making me think of, cause we hear that a lot from customers. How do we get people to, to uh, come sooner and stay later is what we hear a lot in professional mm-hmm. sports too. Right. And it's, one of those you can actually start to uh, measure it rather than have a gut feeling as to, yeah, I think the stands are pretty full today before tip-off or kick-off, and you're actually giving data points as to something to go to. But 
Um, the other thing I want to kind of touch on was you were mentioning how I think this can be a lot more valuable than ticket sales information because I know we talked about this before is people, third-party ticket right, resellers, or you want to mm-hmm. call them, um, people buy season tickets and they sell them to individual people. So let's say, like say if Justin uh, season tickets – the season ticket information is going to be about him and say I'm mm-hmm. 20 years younger, older, whatever, but you're giving me your tickets to go to. Then it's like, okay, well, this is way more valuable because you're actually detecting who is in the stadium, not who should be in the stadium. Is that right? Right. <laughs> totally. And it's, and that's the thing is oftentimes, like I know if I have the ticket on my phone, um, I'm scanning it in for the three other people that are potentially going with me. Mm-hmm. And so teams have a really great understanding, I think of their season ticket fan base and, and oftentimes the ticket buyer, but it doesn't necessarily give a holistic picture of who's in the venue. Mm-hmm. I mean, utilizing our data in, in major league baseball, we saw the average age of fans was about 10 years younger than ticket data that teams had. And it makes sense because if dad brings, you know, two kids to the game, the average age that they have for those three tickets is 40, but it's, it's not 40. The average age <laughs> is maybe 20 then, if yeah. you've got, you know, kids with him. So it, it really does make a difference. Um, and even just looking at, you know, from a male, female perspective, um, who's, who's in the crowd, does that vary from, from the ticket holder? And we've seen, you know, we've got NFL partners who's, primetime games skew more female than a, than a noon game. And, you know, different pieces of information like that can completely modify the way that you um, run, uh, run the show um, at a game. Yeah. And you've been kind of mentioning a couple different examples, a couple different, different sports. Do you have a, like certain sports that you do a lot more of, or are you kind of involved in a lot of different ones? Like stadium arena doesn't matter what the setting is and you've got a lot of different op- opportunities there. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter what the setting is. Um, we are with partners in all five major leagues uh, in the U.S., but our, our primary growth at this time is definitely in, in the NFL. We've got eight NFL partners to date um, and growing quickly, which I love to see. Um, but we do have uh, you know, cameras installed in, in scoreboards and center hungs. We've got cameras installed in MLS you know, on each side of the pitch. Same thing in the NFL. Usually in the NFL, we're installing a camera on each side of the 50-yard line. Um, so we can definitely make it work in, in every venue. We haven't found one yet that we can't install in, um, but our growth is definitely heavy in the NFL. Awesome. And I'm, I'm even thinking about the beginning with, um, with concerts and things. How does that, again, I just thought of this question, not surprising, <laughs> Justin, but uh, how does it happen when they kind of cross, right? Because we know there's a lot of, like you say, you two or like we talked with uh, Mike the other week uh, about the golfers having Beyonce come in, right? So mm-hmm. you used mm-hmm. to have some of these cameras and stuff that would go with concerts and tours. Are you running into, uh, okay, now that is going to be at an arena or a stadium that already has your equipment, or how does that work out? Yeah, so it's an interesting uh, interesting situation. So for us, um, it's definitely kind of separating, I think, the fan cams from the data. At concerts, I think we've definitely still prefer to send a photographer out because they take the image from the stage and you get the fans, you know, right there up front and close and personal and then the whole venue and it's really cool. Um, But from a data perspective, we also can't capture if it's dark. So in a concert, if you turn all the lights off and it's pitch black or if we're in an arena and the scoreboard um, goes up into the ceiling, for example, and we're installed there, all of a sudden you kind of eliminate the cameras. That being said, uh, we've got a couple of stadiums that we're working with right now where we were brought in um, by the the tenants or by the team that is there. And now we're having conversations with the stadium of how do we turn these cameras on and um, utilize crowd IQ data at the concerts so they can get an, a better idea of 
um, who shows up to a pop show versus a country show and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I love looking at like Taylor Swift's tour right now. Um, I, I'm assuming a lot of the ticket buyers for Taylor Swift's uh, current tour were parents, uh, but they might not necessarily be the ones going, or if they are, they might be going with, you know, with their teenagers. Right. So again, how do you get a better understanding of what that fan base looks like? And then maybe you modify concessions or things like that for upcoming shows when you have a better understanding of who's in that audience. Yeah. And you said something really interesting too, is if it's in an arena and they raise the scoreboard up out of the way and you, then you can't use those cameras. Yeah. So that made me think, where, where do you install these cameras or when you're getting started, how do you decide where to put the cameras? Yeah, in an arena, we still do prefer to go in into the scoreboard. And that is because usually it's the team that's driving the partnership. Um, and that's the best place for us to capture. Plus, it just makes it for a very, very cool uh, fan cam image when you've got a full 360 photo um, that it's stitched together from from the center hung. It kind of looks like you had somebody literally floating in the air taking the 360 photo. So it's great. Um, so that's typically where we are going in, in arenas, though. And then when we are in an NFL venue or an MLS venue, it's usually a camera on each side of the field. Um, ideally, we're at the, the center of the field or the 50-yard line, um, but the height doesn't matter. I mean, we've got NFL venues where we are all the way up in the canopy and then others where we are in at the, uh, the 100 level. Um, basically, as long as we can get a clear photo of everybody in the, in, in the stands, um, we can install the cameras there. And this is me just thinking of, I take some photography stuff as a hobby, but obviously these cameras are way different. Are they like different size cameras? Like I know you mentioned different areas that get installed or distances. Do you, is uh -huh. it like a whole bunch of different ones you kind of pick and choose from depending on the uh, the facility? You know what you would think? It's more so the lenses that are getting um, oh. swapped out. <laughs> and it's not that crazy of a camera. I mean, our, our technology really is just about um, – how we program uh, everything to move and pan to capture everything. But it's not, you know, one giant image. Um, as you can imagine, if you took a photo on your iPhone and then you try and zoom in at a certain point, it starts to get pixelated. It starts yep. to get blurred. It's the same thing. If we just took one, you know, big pano, you wouldn't be able to zoom in. And so it's, uh, it's a camera with, um, with a big lens on it uh, that we're able to then, you know, capture these hundreds of photos of the crowd and then stitch together so that when you zoom out, it looks like a big pan out, but it was actually hundreds of photos that we're taking in that high res, uh, more so up close. And that's why, you know, we're able to get the, the data from them and why fans are able to find themselves um, at such great quality. Yeah. And if I'm a, a venue that I'm thinking, hey, I want to try and do this. And you said you've got specific locations and and maybe each customer is different for how many cameras you want to install. But what kind of access do they need kind of on the back end to to make this all work? It's again crazy, but it's it's easier than you would uh, than you would think, or or simple simpler than you would think. If mm -hmm. we're going into a, a jumbotron, it's typically four cameras that we can see all sides of the venue, and if we're going into a stadium, it's typically two cameras, one on each side to capture the entire venue, plus that attention tracking camera would be a third. Um, but I mean, it's a standard 110 volt outlet, like you you know you have in your house, um, standard Cat5 plug point for for our internet. 20 megabytes up and down, um, really basic. I, I heard our uh, CTO say this the other day, but basically if we can watch HD Netflix um, and have enough power and internet to do that, we have everything that we need to <laughs> to capture a fan cam and crowd IQ data. That's amazing. And then even thinking about where it connects to, is there just kind of a little server that you have in the control room or is there anything in the control room that needs to be um, I don't know, allocated to space for this? 
Yeah, nothing that the teams need to do. We have um, we have our PC right next to the camera. Everything will be right there. And if you see them in the venue, they, they almost do look like security cameras. Um, oh, it, it's pretty small with a small footprint. And then on our end, everything is uploaded uh, via the cloud um, and controlled remotely off-site. So uh, those in-venue and on-site um, don't need to do anything and don't even need to think about it. Our goal is that um, everything is running seamlessly without the team having to, you know, put any effort towards it on game day, uh, unless they are ingesting, you know, the, the demographics or the crowd flow, um, or the attention tracking in real time and using that in the venue to, you know, somehow, um, dictate what they're doing on game day. Which is crazy. Cause everything you've been explaining already, thinking of how I keep saying gigapixel, cause it's kind of fun to say, but, um, <laughs> yeah. how many different, like incredibly high res, pictures and how often it has it taken all that working and it's such a small footprint and easy to to go in it just seems like it's really meant on like you said not being as seamless as possible for customers but it's just i don't know to me it's crazy again because i have like i think of my camera that i have right it's like i'm showing my hands here so justin can see but no one else it's like this big <laughs> but like it can't do anything that this thing could do and it still doesn't take up that much of a footprint uh it's kind of cool well, and, and that's even when we send a photographer, it's the same kind of, you know, camera that we're doing when we send a photographer, we're just instead putting it um, on an install on a kind of remote control pan tilt that we are controlling. But I always get that question, too, if we're sending a photographer for a one-off event and they say, okay, so what do they need? Do they need to install? What kind of footprint do they need? And I'm like, no, 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 they they just look like a photographer on the side of the court um, when they come out there. They've got their tripod, they've got their camera, and and that's it. It's a, it's a small footprint, and I think that's something we've focused on whether it is a, a manual shoot or or an installation is we try to make it as as simple and, and seamless as as possible the the technology and the output and what we're able to do is really cool um but you know on, on the on the front end we want to make it really easy for the teams especially because you know there is so much going into stadiums and arenas these days um that requires uh you know a, a heavy financial investment uh, a heavy footprint um, and you know, sometimes a lot of uh, a lot of work to get the things in there. So we're we're trying to make it as seamless and, and easy as possible. That's for sure. Yeah, and thinking about it with you know our world of Dactronics and your world at Crowd IQ and FanCam and how they would kind of roll together. Is there like uh, other other ways they would merge other than just making sure there's the right allocation for cameras or how you fit the cameras near, say, a video board? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that that they could merge, and I think you know. We've had some conversations, you know, over the last couple of weeks here with the Dactronics team about what that could look like. And I think the biggest thing on, on my side and Matt, we've talked about this is um, how do we use attention tracking to to monitor screen attention for for Dactronics scoreboards? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if, if uh, one of your guys' scoreboards go in, especially with the really incredible new um, shapes and sizes and designs and the, and the resolution that you guys are, are putting into these new venues, um, is that making a big a different uh, difference uh, on screen attention? And if so, that's that's massive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fans pay more attention to a Dactronics scoreboard. Is is that the case when they up? You know, when teams upgrade their scoreboard? And if so, every team should be doing it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's kind of the you know the no brainer off the bat. But then even once these scoreboards are in and and um, all the digital signage has been installed, um, working with teams to you know kind of get a better understanding of, of what the attention looks like so that they can utilize this new technology um, in the best way possible. Yeah, I like that plug you gave us there. That was very nice. Um, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yeah, because when we had talked about this before, it was, in my mind, it went two different ways. There was one where, all right, it, it, they don't have to be a new customer, right? And we talked about that mm -hmm. as well. It can, it can go in existing right now. 
And for us, that's even interesting because you're gathering data on how many people are looking at the screen because it, we look at it all the time and we, we present to customers and we hear a lot of goals are to get people off their phone as much mm-hmm. and looking at the screen so they're more engaged in the game. It could be louder, bigger home court or home field advantage. So I feel like there's something to be said about an existing one and being able mm-hmm. to say like, yeah, to the sponsors and everything there, here it goes. But then we talked about, all right, if it's a new project, and where we, I, I know I got kind of excited about this mm-hmm. when you started saying you already have a lot of customers out there, which ones are ours, which ones are getting upgrades, being able to say, here's how the other display was. And then now you got a brand new one, being able to see what the difference is. Cause I know that's a lot of, whether it's colleges or professional sports, when they put a lot of money into new equipment, I think anything that would help show that it made a, a positive effect that they would love. Exactly. And I think looking at you know, in this day and age, everybody wants to do something bigger and better and, and newer than, than in the past. And I think that comes with the, the design of the scoreboards and the shapes, you know, things on the ceiling or the infinity rings or center hungs. And, and what does that look like? And I think there's going to be, as we continue to grow now, um, enough data to kind of generate some insights off of that by saying this type of scoreboard gets the most attention or fans are getting big screen fatigue from from this type of scoreboard or this shape or this size um, and things like that. And just kind of trying to perfect, um, you know, what what is best for the fan experience. Mm-hmm. And you, you're talking about all these different things that you could do with it, all the different sets of data you could compare, like year over year, where are people shifting their attention to and things like that. Have there been anything that kind of popped up that you weren't expecting or any um, kind of anomalies from things that you're seeing of maybe it's where people are looking or, or where the crowd flow is going um, since you've installed? Yeah, I had, there was one that really stood out to us and it was um, actually in Tampa Bay with the lightning and our cameras there for the attention tracking. Um, we were seeing this anomaly after every lightning goal, attention seemed to shift not to the screen, not to your phone, not to the person next to you, not to the ice, but instead directly up to the ceiling or just straight up. And we had no idea what was going on. And we kind of thought there might have been an error or an issue or something um, originally. But then we kept seeing the trend over and over again. And it wasn't until we actually, uh, as a team, went down to Tampa, um, sat at a game, experienced a goal, and realized they have these Tesla coils on the ceiling that basically (laughs) shoot lightning and actual electricity <laughs> across the ceiling and it makes wow. this crazy noise and it is actual electricity shooting across the ceiling but the goal is scored you hear the noise and everyone looks up and i <laughs> joked with them when i was on the call the other day i said guys you guys got to put a sponsor on your ceiling everyone's <laughs> up. can you spell out things with that lightning bolt or yeah, yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> something something really really cool and unique i was like i mean even just <laughs> plain, old, plain old signage in there. Maybe you put some digital, put some digital signage up there. That, there you go. But I mean, the stuff they could do around that. So that was a unique, you know, a unique al- anomaly that uh, that I thought was was pretty cool as it relates <laughs> to the the attention tracking. Mm-hmm. But there's always different trends that we pick up on, and and uh, and I do love when teams will point things out to us or ask, um, you know, if we if we are seeing a trend or if we can pick certain things up. Um, another big thing that I think we've really noticed is just with opposing team fans in general, you know, if you're in a, a, a large market, um, a brand new stadium, situations like that, yeah, you, you probably have a lot of opposing team fans in your venue. People want to want to come and um, travel to a, to a big city and see a, a shiny new stadium. Um, but also in a lot of venues, we're seeing kind of the opposite. Uh, teams will play a rival and they're like, oh, it's 50-50. You know, there's so many opposing team fans in the crowd. 
Um, and we say, actually, you know, it's actually only about 15% of the crowd is opposing team and 85% is home team fans. They say, it's no, there's no way. We've wow. actually had teams, we've delivered them the data and they're like, there's no way we want to see the pictures and we will send them photos <laughs> of every section and they'll have some people go ahead and count. An intern, yep. <laughs> the intern again, is yeah. to, trust, to trust the data. But it is amazing how your eyes, I think, sometimes play tricks on you. And I've seen that, you know, again, being in Minnesota as a as a Vikings fan, you go to a Vikings game and they play the Packers. And I'm mm-hmm. like, there's a there's a lot of green in here. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of green in here. But there's actually not. Um, it just stands out. If you see a row with, with 20 Vikings fans and, and two Packers fans, I see the green because yep. that's just what, what stands out to me. But it's yeah. not the majority. And I think that's an interesting thing, too, that um, teams have this fear and this panic of, of how many opposing team fans are in their venue. And it's not necessarily um, accurate or what your eyes are, are telling you. Right. You'd almost wonder if that's a bigger deal in, in cities that have two pro sports teams or are sharing a venue or something like that, oh, that yeah. they think, oh, it's easy for the competition to kind of walk in and, and support the, the opposing team, right? Totally. And, and we're not partnered with any of the Vegas teams, but I would absolutely love to be because I would love to see, you know, what that looks like at a Raiders game. Um, I haven't been yet, but you, you know, I would love to go watch the Vikings play in Vegas. <laughs> so it's like, um, it's, you know, some teams, you know, some teams you're just going to experience that. And it's, and it is what it is because mm-hmm. you have, that's, that's where you're located. But I think you're also seeing teams like that start to lean into it as well sure. um, and say this is what we are and we're the we're the party stadium and the party city and everybody wants to come to us it's not a it's not a bad problem to have no and i'm thinking uh kind of going down the same track of you saying being able to detect you know who's wearing home jerseys or home team or away team i mean there's a lot of opportunities for this to be able to attract fans right to say all right what type of team gear are they wearing at these games is there any discounts we can push to them to get them to the team store and then if we did do that push did it work like kind of talk about that a little bit yeah i think i mean i've had some conversation it's usually with women in the industry um about just how bad uh, oftentimes merch is for um for female fans i'm not a massive rhinestone fan myself but there sure <laughs> is a lot of uh there sure is a lot of team uh merch targeted towards females with um you know in that general realm um uh, and so it's funny it was uh, Gal and I were talking about this, though, about how do we um, help teams better stock what they're selling in venue um, based on what what fans are wearing. And so it's not just home team, away team. Again, it's anything you and I can deduce from an image. The computer can be trained to detect. So maybe we're looking and we're seeing, okay, female fans are all wearing purple or red or or white or whatever, you know, the color is for the team. Mm-hmm. But they're not wearing their their secondary color or their their third color how do we better stock the store to to reflect that uh, female fans are wearing sweatshirts? They're not wearing T-shirts. They're wearing this jersey. They're not wearing this jersey um, and, and kind of breaking that down. And it is cool that you can kind of get that granular and I think um, impact the the merchandise and the retail side of things. And it's not something that we've dove into. We've been providing a lot of teams with with merchandise analysis, mm-hmm. um, but we have been working with a lot of the with the retail folks on the team side. And it's an area I'm really interested in exploring because I think when you start looking at like the fanatics of the world and things like that, um, it's an it's an interesting playing field. And there's maybe not as much data out there, I think, other than purchasing data um, um, that is impacting these decisions. Yeah, it's curious when you talk about maybe you can you know, push to stock something based on what you're actually seeing people wear. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. do they stack that on top of their sales records from what they actually sold in the retail outlet versus 
what people are actually wearing in the game and, and maybe even compare those. There's probably just a lot of different levels they could go into there. I'm probably getting down into the weeds now, but <laughs> yeah. no, but I mean, it, it's, it is true. Um, and there's a lot of different, the different ways you can, you can stack it. Uh, the Detroit lions are, are fantastic partners of ours. And um, they've been one of the most innovative groups that we've, we've worked with. And I know there's been a lot of noise this past season about this war room that they had built out at Ford Field and all of these different data sources that they were, you know, pulling pulling into it. And CrowdIQ, you know, was a was a small part. Um, and I say a small part because they pulled every piece of data you can possibly imagine into that that war room and overlaid it on top of each other. And that's where I think there is there's value in in numbers. So, you know, overlaying CrowdIQ data with ticket data and food and bev data and um, merchandise and, and in venue sales data, you know, what can you generate from that? And it's a lot more than just looking at, um, you know, the, the data as it is, um, coming in. You should have seen Justin's eyes light up or his whole face. He's a huge Lions fan. So when you start talking <laughs> about this, he was just on cloud nine over here. I was wondering how much of my data they had from how much I spent there <laughs> last year. <laughs> Justin makes the, the trek from South Dakota to Detroit what, once a year, right? Once every other year yeah. usually, but last year was a lucky year for me. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta go find yourself in the fan cam. There you uh, go. Probably, yeah. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking too, Rachel. I know we, we had talked about this as well. Was, I mean, there's different. There's so much data, obviously, that we've talked about today. Um, and you're helping out sponsors, teams, ticket sales, all these different things. But I mean, there gets to be a point where because you're at all these facilities, you're gonna be, you could be, start to be able to group these things together, and maybe start to identify. I don't know, trends or demographics of what are you seeing in NFL stadiums, MLB, whatever it might be, right? Totally. And we actually was really exciting this year. We were able to deliver our first NFL comparative report to our NFL partners, um, giving them anybody who opted in, which all of them did, the opportunity to see their you know, most basic data against the rest of the team. So what? how does my average age compare to the other seven teams? How does um, the percentage of fans in their seats at kickoff compared to the rest of the crowd. How is my Gen Z fan base, my female fan base, you know, the numbers, how does that line up? Um, and it was really exciting to be able to do that. And it's really just the tip of the iceberg. But I think that's where a lot of a lot of value lies is when you're comparing these data sources and learning from each other. You know, some teams love to share and love to learn from each other. Others, mm -hmm. not so much. But I do think there is a lot of value in open dialogue and conversations and learning what is working in some areas. Can it potentially work at your stadium? Um, or maybe it doesn't because there's, you know, always that possibility as well, but, but sharing and, and learning from each other. And wow. And we've just covered so much today. Is, is there by any chance that we completely missed something that you want to share or, or anything else you wanted to touch on that we haven't covered so far? Man, not anything that, that comes top of mind. Um, but I, I think just the big thing always to walk away with, uh, I ask this question to a lot of our partners is, um, if you could have a computer look at your crowd for an entire season, what would you ask it? And again, keeping it under the lens of anything you and I can deduce from the image, the computer can be trained to detect. Because that's where we get all of this from. Um, attention tracking came from a partner because it wasn't something we could, could capture with the you know previous um, scanning of the crowd every 12 minutes. And they said, could you have a camera look at the crowd every second? Could you do this? Mm -hmm. Could we overlay with our screen attention? We said, well, let's look into it. Why not? Um, and now it's been a, a massive asset for for a lot of our partners. Um, you know, can we overlay this data set with this one? Sure, why not? But everything that we're doing is is coming from 
our partners to date, just saying, is this possible? Um, and thankfully, I work for a team that that really doesn't like to say no. Uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, we sometimes we we get a little uh, a little out of our comfort zone and and uh, maybe bite off more than we can chew until we figure it out. But I will say also that was something that the pandemic allowed us to do. You know, we're a, a company that's all about capturing crowds, and we didn't have crowds for for quite a while. Um, and we've made it through, made it through with the entire team still in, intact, which was fantastic. And it gave us a, a solid chunk of time to basically sit internally and and work and develop and organize these data sets and, and come out stronger on the other side. No, I like that. That's such a good way to, <laughs> to phrase all that. Yeah, I love that question that you ask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so then maybe just kind of then to, to help tie things up, if someone listening is interested uh, in this, Rachel, what's the best way um, for them to get a hold of you or the Crowd IQ uh, fan cam team? Um, you can go through the you know the info request on either website, fancam.com, crowdiq.ai, or even easier, my email is very nice and easy, rachel at fancam.com. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and, and, and shoot me a note, and we'd love to have a conversation um, and love to connect you with any of our partners. That's something that I've been doing a lot lately. I actually have been sending so many people up to the Lions since they did so much cool stuff this past season, and I joked with one of them. I said, if you're sick of me sending people your way, please just let me know. And they're like, no, this is great. We love meeting more people in the industry. Um, but I think our partners can – can talk about it, you know, in, in more detail, um, than we can. Cause I can suggest a million things that teams can do from, you know, with the data, but I think there's a lot more value in just having a conversation with another team and just seeing how, um, you know, how they're using it and, and getting those ideas and having those conversations. Sounds like you might have to send Justin out there next, maybe. But yeah. yeah. I gotta go. Yep. <laughs> I might have to. I love that idea. We'll, we'll make a trip next season. Maybe there we go. Maybe when the Vikings go to town. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Right. Um, <laughs> if Vikings are going there, then I'm coming with as well. Don't yeah, get me out of that. We'll all go. <laughs> but Rachel, thank you so much for coming yeah. on and sharing all this. This is fascinating hearing how you're putting cameras throughout venues to, to capture data and layer it just for the betterment of, of the venue and everybody involved. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it and really enjoyed the conversation. Yep. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dectronics Experience Podcast. Please subscribe at your favorite place to listen to podcasts to keep up with our latest episodes. 